Well, good morning, Sailorville. If you brought a copy of Scripture with you this morning, you can find the fourth chapter of John, John chapter 4, as we continue in our series, More Like Jesus, all right? So this is what we're dealing with, what it means to be more like Jesus, our summer series, and we're talking about the subject this morning of worship. Worship. What if I or if someone else accused you of not knowing what you were worshiping? Would that offend you? Jesus did that. Here's what he said. You worship what you do not know. If your worship was out of ignorance, would you want to know that? Please go like this. Truth is, most people would even resist that. If God declared that your worship was null and void, Would you want to know that? Jesus did exactly that when he said to his detractors who were very religious, their worship is a farce. The Bible talks much about worship. There's a lot of worship going on in the Bible. But the Bible doesn't give us a definitive definition for worship per se. We do have the word, and I do want you to remember the meaning of the word. The word worship is the Greek word proskuneo. You can hear the word prostrate in that word, the English word for falling down. That's the idea there. It literally means to go to your knees and kiss towards something. In fact, it literally pictures a dog licking its master's hand. And I mean literally because the word dog is embedded in the word proskuneo. Why do I tell you that? Well, because it's a fitting, it's a fitting definition for the very word and for what we're talking about. Because I've, I, I don't, anybody here own dogs? You own dogs, right? Okay. I mean, I've been a proud dog owner, haven't been one for years, but I've had three dogs in my life. And we, big dog, little dogs, all three of them had the same thing in common. They worshipped me. <laughs> Somebody has said that for perspective, everybody needs a dog to worship them and a cat to ignore them. Probably true. <laughs> Probably true. The word, our word worship, actually comes from an old English word, which is really interesting as well. It's old English word is worship. That's not, you say that sounds odd, but we put ship on the end of other words like sportsmanship, friendship. What is, you know, friendship is, is that which makes up a good friend. A good, we talk about good sportsmanship. You're acting within the rules of your certain sport, whatever that may be. Either way, this has to do with worthiness, worthship, worthiness, and God is worthy. The word worthy is used in direct connection to worship. In Revelation 5, it's a very powerful passage of scripture where uh, there's a scene in heaven where God the Father is holding the title deed that is, is sealed several times and nobody, nobody in heaven or on earth is worthy. That's the word. And the word means weight, has the weight. We talk about somebody who deserves something. We're talking about their worthiness. They don't have the weight. Nobody is found worthy to take 
the, the snatch the title deed out of Father God's hand until somebody says, wait, the lion from the tribe of Judah, he is, that's right, he's worthy and does in that powerful scene. So worship should be something that comes very natural to those who understand what it means to come into a, a genuine relationship with God. Peter tells us, he's speaking to Christians, and I never assume everybody here is one of them, but if you are a Christian, God says you're a chosen generation. You're a royal priesthood. You are a people of his own special kind. Why all these designations, and many more, by the way, for you and I who have a relationship with Jesus? He tells us, he says, so that you might declare the praises of him who brought you out of darkness into his glorious might, or light, rather. That's why we praise him. That's why we worship, amen? Someone has said the wonder of the church is not that we are perfect people, but that we are purchased people. And when you realize you've been purchased, your sins have been bought, paid for on the cross, that should cause you to be one who gives him his worth. And you worship him. This is, you've been bought with a price, Paul told the Corinthians. So glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Worship should be much more than lifting our voices to God. But it shouldn't be less. Hear that. You don't have to be demonstrative and raise your hands like I do from time to time or you know, a, a strong handful of others here. But you ought to be singing with every fiber of your being if you understood that you've been purchased. Amen? 14 amens. Bless the Lord. It isn't just lifting up our voices, but it's not less than that. It is so much more. In our, in our study, in our book study that we have that's available to you called More Like Jesus, uh, we, we say this, God alone rules my world. This is our little operational definition for worship because worship is so multi-layered. It's more than just singing and this and that. God alone rules my world, so I will point to him in everything I do. What a great declaration that would be if we lived like this. Our booklet goes on. Surrender the moment. Surrender the moment. Life is full of moments. Some moments are joyful, some hurt. We can't choose our moments, but we can choose what we do in the moment. Would you agree with that? That's a true statement. And therein is the first litmus test as to whether or not you are a true worshiper of God. What you do in those hurtful moments. Take Job. He loses everything at the hands of Satan, allowed by God. And you remember in the first chapter, the 21st verse, he said, I, I came naked in this world. That's the way I'm going out. The Lord gives. The Lord takes away. What? Blessed be the name of the Lord. What is he doing? He's worshiping in the moment. That's exactly what he's doing. He's worshiping in the moment. And God is seeking true worshipers. Now we're talking about worship in the very final scene of the Bible. Very powerful. The 22nd chapter of Revelation. And John is just so caught up. This angel's been showing him all these amazing pictures, his vision of what heaven's going to be like. It's going to be amazing. He is so caught up with the glory 
of the angel himself, John bows down and worships the angel. And the angel comes unglued. He said, don't do that. Worship God. Remember that? True worship is never directed at angels or dead saints or Mary or a hundred other things that people tend to worship. It is always pointed to God. And last I checked, Jesus is God. Amen? So how does this look? How does this unpack itself, okay? Worship, real, true worship. Worship for all of its complexity, for all of its components, always starts with the heart, always, or the spirit. I'm going to be using purposely the, the heart and the spirit interchangeably because they're synonymous. I think they're synonymous in the Bible. I'll show that as we keep going here. But it doesn't end there. In fact, while we don't have a succinct definition of worship given to us, we do have a succinct description of worship. Jesus gave it to us, and it's in the context of his interaction, his famous interaction with the woman at the well. Here's what he said in John chapter four. But the hour is coming, and now is here, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in, save the line, spirit and truth. This is gonna be the one you gotta not forget. For the Father is seeking, present tense, such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship him and say it again. Spirit and in truth. <clears throat> now think about this. God is seeking true worshipers. And this isn't the only time we're told this by Jesus. In 2 Chronicles 16, the writer says, the eyes, the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong on behalf of those whose heart is loyal to him. Have you ever read that? So God has always been seeking those who are true worshipers. Now, worship, because we don't have a strict definition, therefore, there are a myriad of definitions that are out there. I might as well throw mine in there, huh? Here's mine. Worship is when the conscious awareness of God's presence is met by desire and will to please him. That's my definition. It's not dogmatic, but I think it's true. John Piper says, satisfaction in God is the essence of worship. And true to Piper, he can, he, it's never good for just one line. He goes on, if the essence of worship is satisfaction in God, then worship can be a means of any, can't be a means of anything else. You simply can't say to God, I want to be satisfied in you so that I can have something else. Because that would mean you are really not satisfied in God, but in something else. And that would dishonor God, not worship him. The great revivalist Leonard Ravenhill once said, we tend to worship our work, work at our play, and play at our worship. What if, what if we could witness, what if you could witness a false worshiper become a true worshiper? Would that not be amazing? Please say yes. I've had the joy of seeing this multiple, multiple times. I have, in right in front of my, right in front of me, I have seen many go from being a false worshiper to a true worshiper. It is one of, it is the greatest 
thrill, glory, and joy of my entire life to see people go from false worshipers to true worshipers. And if you've never experienced that, rejoice because we have an experience right in the scripture. How many of you have seen the series, The Chosen? Raise your hand, okay? That's a lot of you. I mean, most of you haven't. Uh, besides it being the coolest Jesus to ever make the, scene, the, the, you know, the, the, the screen, uh, there is my favorite clip, and you will indulge me if you would, please, because I don't do this. You know me. I don't show extended clips of anything, but I am today. I tear up every time I watch this scene, and I'm asking you to give your absolute undivided attention to the next few minutes of this scene from The Chosen. That's the third time I've seen it today. <laughs> so powerful. Right now, some of you here, your lives are a mess. I can relate to that. Some of you have horrible pasts. And some of you have some really, really, really messed up lives right now. You're messed up because you're like the woman at the well. You're promiscuous. Or maybe you're into drugs and alcohol. And, and maybe, maybe it's, you're so messed up because your character is so messed up. You're angry. You're bitter. Some of you are arrogant. You're proud, and God resists the proud, gives grace to humble people. Just a few days ago, the highest court in our land overturned Roe versus Wade. And Christians have understandably been very, very excited about this. Understandable. But this is not a time to spike the football. We should approach this very, very humbly because there are those, and maybe in this room, maybe watching online, who would say, it's too late for me. I've already had an abortion. I messed up. I'm here to tell you that Jesus Christ has come into your own Samaria to meet with you. He loves you. And oh, by the way, he knows everything about you, and he still loves you. This woman's conscience came alive in this moment as she sensed herself to be in the very presence of God himself, the Messiah. I know when it comes to worship, some of you probably think, well, you know, I just wait to get to heaven. Then all the crappy worship will go away, you know, and it'll all be just awesome, you know. I'm not so sure. I appreciate what Barry Leish has said about this. He imagines for many of us, uh, he says, quote, when we arrive in heaven, we'll find the, the roar of the congregational response too loud, the thunder and lightning too unsettling, the four living creatures too weird, the incense too strange, the white vestments too showy, the prostration too embarrassing, the tabernacle furniture too Catholic, and the 30 minutes of silence way too long. Spirit and truth. 
That's how we worship God. And herein, in the words of Jesus, lies the essence of worship, the essence of worship that both honors God and intimately connects you and me to him. And so two elements necessary in true worship by our Lord himself, really simple, spirit and truth. You must come with a humble spirit. That's the first thing. You must come to God with a humble spirit. David, in his great confession in Psalm 51, concluded it by saying, the sacrifices of the Lord are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart. That's why I use those words synonymously. God will not despise them. Have you ever read that? Spirit and truth. Like David's prayer, the spirit in this passage here is not the Holy Spirit. It's understandable if you, if you had that in your mind because the Holy Spirit is alluded to in this passage where Jesus said earlier, remember, and he said it on the video, but more importantly in the scripture, if you believe in me, you know, out of you will come uh, rivers of living water, right? Living water. That is a direct reference to the spirit of God. But in this case, those who worship me must worship me in spirit and truth. It's the human, it's the human spirit, the, the dead human spirit that the Holy Spirit it activates and brings and makes alive right there. Aren't you glad he does that? A great example of this is Cornelius. That is a great example of how you have to have a humble spirit, how God, God moves, moves toward humble spirits. So here is Cornelius. He is a, Acts chapter 10 says he is a Roman centurion. He's done a lot of really nice stuff, built a synagogue, done this, and it says he prayed to God always, which he sounds like a Christian when you read it, but he's not. He is very humble. He is very sincere. And, and what's so powerful about this is God sends him a vision. God sends to him an angel, God sends to him somebody to tell him the truth. Don't tell me God ignores sincerity. Cornelius, his spirit was so open to God's truth, God sent truth to him. How cool is that? Light, as someone said, light received brings light, light rejected brings night. And if you're humble in your spirit, because God resists the proud, gives grace to humble people. Amen? And if you're humble in your spirit, God will meet you there. It need, you need more than that. You need truth, but you must be humble. And it's not enough that you have truth. The verse just before the one we put up is in verse 22. In this dialogue, is so fascinating, so multi-layered. Jesus says to the woman, you know, salvation's of the Jews. Now, why would he say that? Now, here's the profound answer to that question. Because salvation is of the Jews. That's the reason. Salvation came from Judaism, from the Jewish scriptures, amen? The very ones we believe in, right? The problem is the content, the truth itself, was found in scripture, but not in them. Why weren't they saved? Why were the Jews rejecting Jesus as a whole? Because they were not broken in spirit. Their hearts were not in it. They were proud. They were not broken. 
And this is the reason Jesus said in Matthew chapter 15, you people draw near me with your mouth. You honor me with your lips, but your hearts are far from me. In vain, you worship me. In vain, that means it's null and void. You worship me teaching doctrines and commandments of men. That's that convoluted faith. A little bit of truth, a little bit of error, mixed together, garbage. And Jesus said that. He told the same group of people in John 8, 37, my word, the word that they knew, the word that they studied, the word that they could articulate, the word they could quote, my word has no place in you. That's why we must have a humble spirit or we will never receive the truth that transforms. Secondly, the other element to necessary true worship is you must come with the truth. You have to come with the truth. Jesus said, they who worship God must worship him in spirit and in what? Truth. The night before he died, he prays for a disciple, his disciples, and he says, Father, set them apart by your truth. Your word is truth. The apostle Paul, having spent three years with the Ephesians, Acts chapter 20, verse 32, said to them, now, as I'm leaving, you're not gonna see me again. So here's the deal. I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to set you apart and give you an inheritance amongst the saints. That's how important truth is. And then there's Peter in 2 Peter. How would you like to be the generation that received his letter? They were the ones who lived right after, they just missed Jesus. That'd be a bummer. And so what do you do? When you, what, how do you address that generation that just missed Jesus? Well, you're really nice. No, you know what he says? Oh man, I remember when this cloud came over and God the Father spoke and this is my son, listen to him, awesome. And the group's kind of going, thanks for rubbing our nose in it, Peter. But he set him up. He says in 2 Peter 1, 19 through 21, but we have a more sure word wherein you do well to take heed, Amen. Take heed to the truth of God. The Samaritan religion that the woman at the well ascribed to was filled with half-truths. Like the Jews, and you heard it in the video, true on, in the text, more importantly, they believed in a coming Messiah. But the rest of their faith was so convoluted, an admixture of truth and error just basically made it into garbage. This is why Paul, with all of it, I mean, he, you can, when you read Romans 10, the first four verses, you can, you can actually see the tears welling up in Paul's eyes when he says, my brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God is that Israel would be saved. For I bear them witness that they have a zeal. There's the spirit, right? They have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. For they being ignorant of God's righteousness and seeking after their own righteousness, have not humbled themselves, submitted to the righteousness of God. That's the problem. When you have an admixture of truth, you got to get rid of the, the garbage, right? So, and this is, what, this is what God is seeking. Verse 23 true worshipers. It's used, the word true here is used as an adjective describing the kind of worshipers God seeks. 
Again, just so that you know, this has always been true. Psalm 145, verse 18. The psalmist says, the Lord is near to all who call upon him. Isn't that wonderful? But you better not quit underlining if you underline that that verse, because here's what the rest of it says. To those who call upon him in truth. Spirit and truth. The Lord is near to all who call upon him. To those qualified who call upon him in truth. Always been the same. So the words of the 70s rock band, Boston, got it right. It's more than a feeling. (laughs) Throwing my age in there. David Watson said, all word and no spirit, we dry up. All spirit and no word, we blow up. Both spirit and word, we grow up. And that's why lyrics, the lyrics in the songs that we sing must be truthful. You wouldn't put up with me preaching lies to you. Why would you put up with somebody singing them to you? Right? How does this work in somebody's life? Again, to allude to the Roe v. Wade overturning here the other day. What do you do? Is that how we change people's hearts? By just super, you know, by saying, here's a, here's a law. No, you know that. And I really wonder openly how much is really going to change as much as I'm thankful for the ruling. But a couple of years ago, I had the joy of leading, seeing a man go from being a false worshiper to a true worshiper right in my office. His name was Rich Lemke. Rich trusted Christ as his personal Lord and Savior right in my office. And started growing. It only been a couple of weeks, and we brought him into our community group, which is our, kind of our practice. Brought him into our community group. And it had only been a couple of weeks. Now, mind you, he's only been saved for like a month. And he comes in, and into our community group come a couple other individuals. And one of them makes a really, this is a couple of years ago, a snarky statement about the pro-choice movement and those who were involved in it. And it was just some nasty, snarky statement. And another guy in the group, yeah, he agreed. <laughs> Going back and forth. I thought, this is going to be interesting. Because Rich is hearing this stuff for the first time in his life. And he looked right at the entire group, and I kid you not, this was the tone of his voice. What do all of you have against a woman's right to choose? Was he being sincere? Sure was. I leaned against the kitchen counter, looked at me, and I thought, this is really going to be fun. (laughs) So I said, let's have a conversation about that. We sat around, eventually made our way to Psalm 139, that he knit us in the womb. And even when our parts are not formed, God sees us. And I'll never forget Rich going, I've never seen this before. Today, he's serving in one of our engaged churches and a fervent advocate for life. What changed Rich? Was it a political position? Absolutely not. His heart was changed. Spirit and truth. His heart was changed. So, Daniel Henderson says, true worship is scripture-fed and spirit-led. Good balance there. So let's conclude our time with what you gotta do to be a true worshiper, okay? Spirit and truth. You wanna worship God? Then here's the first thing you gotta do. Remove the distractions. Remove 
the distractions. Here's how Paul, but no, again, notice the consistency of Scripture. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 8, Paul says, and he uses, he's throwing Old Testament terminology here, he's, but he's talking to the church. He says, let us therefore celebrate the festival, not with the old leaven, the leaven of malice and evil, but with the unleavened bread, watch it, of sincerity and truth. Spirit and truth. Sincerity and truth. So here, if you want to be a true worshiper, as you come to church, remove the distractions. How many of you came in with distractions today? Be honest. Thinking about, you might have just been thinking about what you got in the crock pot at home. I don't know. But there's distractions. They're there. It's a part of our human makeup. But you got to remove the distractions. If you've ever been to Europe and visited some of these churches, they're, they're beautiful, these cathedrals, they're like museums uh, on the inside, but they're beautiful on the inside. Outside, they are hideous. Outside, they are hideous. They've got these gargoyles. And, and I mean, if you ever, if you go, you go, what in the world? Why would this be on a church? Ah! But there was a reason for this. The architect, the designers had in mind human nature. They, they would put these images disgusting, hideous images around the entrance even of the church to depict man's carnal, fleshly, sinful nature, our ugly appetites that are prejudice and everything else, all the lust of, is all represented in those creatures outside. And it was a visual sign to say to every worshiper coming in, Leave that out here. So remove the distraction. Secondly, remember the dog. We told you the word worship is the word proskuneo. It's, it's got the word dog embedded in it. Martin Luther famously would get dozens of people coming for dinner almost every night. They'd be around his table, and he would be talking theology with them. He had a dog. He had a Pomeranian named Topol. And he was trying to describe worship to everybody. Look down. Here's, he had a piece of meat on the table, and Topol was just up there. All this commotion going on. Topol ain't moving. He's just staring at that piece of meat. In the middle of it, Luther sees Topol. He goes, if I could be like that dog before God, I could get anything from him. Thus demonstrating you got to remove the distraction, and you got to remember the dog. Fix your attention on God. You say, well, that, that doesn't take care of my kid who's grabbing me, my pant leg, and, and you know, all, I, I get it. You need to be like Lisa Johnson, our office manager. Just the other day, we're in the office. There's tons of commotion, lots of loud voices. I might have had part of something to do with it, but... <laughs> In the middle of it, I said something, and I, and I, and I wanted to bring Lisa in because I was sure she was right there. She could hear everything. I said, Lisa, what do you think of this? And she slides over and she goes, what? She was so focused on the task that she had at hand, she heard nothing of what was said. And I thought to myself, that's the way I need to be before my God. That's the way you need to be, to be a true worshiper. Remove the distractions. Remember the dog. And for some of you, let's be honest, and watching online, some of you in here, 
you need to receive the gift. Remember verse 10, Jesus said, if you knew the gift, if you knew the gift of God, you would have asked me, and I would have given you living water. Over every single well in this world that you live around, you can write those words. Everyone who drinks from this well will thirst again. But the one who drinks from the waters that I give him will never thirst. But here's the deal. You got to ask. You got to ask. You got to admit that you are a pride, proud, arrogant, lustful, totally distracted by your sins person, and humble yourself. Have a humble uh, spirit. Believe the truth that Jesus Christ died for you, rose again for you. Repent of your sin. Believe that good news and drink the living water. You got to ask. Remove the distractions. Remember the dog and receive the gift of God. And then you can say with the Apostle Paul, thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. Amen? And become a true worshiper. Let's pray. Our God, we love you and bless your name. And thank you that we could do the short message. Bring in that video. We pray you've honored all this in our hearts and minds. And make us true worshipers. Forgive us for not being true worshipers. Forgive us for the distractions we've chosen to let our minds go toward to not fixate ourselves on your character, your person, your greatness, the cross of Christ, the person of Christ, and love you with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And I pray for those in this room and watching online who have yet to receive the gift of God, which is true water, in which we will never thirst. If that's you, dear friend, right now with all of your heart, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved. We ask these things, Lord, as feeble, true worshipers, and we do so in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. Let's stand.